Welcome to the Not Work Storytelling Podcast. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a word witch, a writing coach, a story healer, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, a woman's way to freedom, power, love, and magic. Mythology and folklore are medicine for the modern soul. Let's hear today's story and explore why it still matters. Episode 8, The Christians and the Pagans, The Unlikely Friendship of Usheen and St. Patrick. My guest in this episode is Kevin Michael Murphy. Kevin is an actor and a voice teacher based in New York City. As an actor, Kevin has toured with the Broadway musical The Book of Mormon. As a teacher, Kevin is the co-founder of the NYC Vocal Studio and is currently on the voice faculty at NYU Steinhardt. Kevin's unique way of working with singers focuses on playfully exploring connections between the mind, the body, and the cultivation of one's artistic point of view. Kevin works with a variety of humans. Some sing on Broadway in shows such as Wicked and Chicago, and others sing in karaoke bars and showers across America. I am so excited to have Kevin here today to tell us a story. And in a twist on our usual not work storytelling format, this is a story that I've written, but I've asked Kevin to perform because I know he's going to bring something really special to it that the story's asking for. And as we do, as is our way here, we'll let the story speak for itself first. And then Kevin and I will have a chat about what resonates and what comes through and what still matters from it. So Kevin, will you tell us a story? Fado Fado in Iran. There was a great band of warriors called the Fianna. They were sworn to Finn McCool, a warrior of warriors who was as wise as he was strong. These young men, though perhaps there were a few women in their midst, well disguised but just as brave as their brothers in arms, were known across the island of Ireland. Some folks were awed by the young warriors' heroic swagger and flocked to bask in their glory. Some thought the Fianna a dreadful plague and stored the butter in the well when they heard the hooves of their horses echoing over the plain or through the mountain passes. Many hid the prettiest and the handsomest young ones in the cowbire when they heard the broad laughter and the rough jokes of the Fianna. Whether that's because their laughter hid dark intentions or they feared their youth would join the wandering band, you decide. They had a law of their own, the Fianna, and it was built upon close friendships, good music, and an open bar. Now Finn had a son named Usheen. Usheen loved his friends like a fish loves the stream, but he had a romantic streak in him too. One day, he was stretched across a soft white beach soaking in the winter sun. A beautiful creature with hair like a summer day and a voice like a spring breeze called to him. She seemed to walk across the waters to stand beside him, her eyes as beautiful and complex as the ocean. She told him her name was Neve, and with barely a thought for the lads, he took her offered hand and followed where she led, the land over the waves, the land of eternal youth, Tirnanog. And there, Machine felt right at home. There was singing and dancing, the wine was sweet, and the laughter was constant. He was devoted to Neve and thrilled at what was possible when one stopped wandering the length and breadth of a country and simply enjoyed the good life. Cares were forgotten, warfare receded into dimmest memory, and Usheen realized how nice life could be 
if you didn't have to assemble a raiding party for beer money. The drinks in Tirnanog were always free. Time passed, though Ushin couldn't say how much. One evening, he turned to Neve as they watched the sun sink slowly into the western sea and told her how he missed his comrades and wished to feel their arms around him. He admitted that he longed to hold a spear and sword in his hand. Neve's pretty brows crinkled as she was quiet for a long moment. He thought she might refuse his request, but it seemed she was just trying to understand why on earth he'd return to a land of bogs and blood, death and tolling bells. Neve offered Ushin her tallest white horse, the singular stallion that could gallop across the waves, and told him he was free to return to Ireland for a time, but offered this warning. Do not set foot on your beloved country. If you touch the soil that birthed you, you shall never come back to me and all of our time together will fade to legend. With a solemn promise that he understood the bargain, Ushin set out the next morning. He rode eastward towards the dawn. When the horse's hooves hit the solidity of the sand, he felt a heaviness in him. Though unfamiliar after all this time, it was the welcome pull of home. As much as he wanted to kneel to kiss the stones and drink the dew, he remembered Neve's warning. It would be enough to roam from strand to cliffs to mountain to valley. It would be enough to find his brethren in the Fianna and ride with them across the midlands to the farthest shores. As he rode, however, he was increasingly confused. What people he did see all seemed small and weak. No one ever stood as high as his horse's shoulder. He called out to a farmer and his sons who toiled in the fields, barely able to lift a spade. Tell me, farmer, why is it that you work when you are ill? Why cannot your brothers and your tua take up your place in the fields while you mend? The man squinted up at the rider, who looked like a giant to him. Was it the sun behind him, or did he glow with a light from within? Tua, my lord, do you mean parish? How could I expect to lie abed and feed my family? Sure, doesn't every farmer have to hoe his own corn and thresh his own grain? Machine was confused, but rode on. He met a group of women by a lee in the river, washing their clothes in the shallows. They didn't look at him the way women usually did. It was as if they were neither interested nor afraid. They were tired, and clearly there was a good deal more washing to do. Tell me, dear women, have you seen a band of warriors pass by since you began your labors? I am seeking my comrades, the Fianna. The eldest of the women frowned up at him. The Fianna? My granny's granny's granny used to tell stories of them. She heard those stories from her own granny. Wicked bunch of lads, those. Wicked, Ushin could feel the shock vying with the indignation in his belly. He wouldn't defend his friends to these weary creatures. Instead, he asked, Your granny's granny's granny, what can you mean? He galloped on until he reached another band of men, all puny in their way. They were building a wall, but they could barely shift the stones. Exasperated at these pathetic laborers, he reached down to lift the stone in easy task to be sure. But when he did, the saddle's girth strap broke and he tumbled to the turf. In an instant, he was transformed to what he truly was, a 300-year-old man all bent and shriveled. The laborers were stunned. They fled for the only help they could think of, Bishop Patrick of Armagh, who wasn't quite called a saint yet, but surely acted as if he'd already won the title. 
Though no one would ever call him the life of the party, he was a kind enough man who tended the soul of his people according to the new codes that came down from Rome. Patrick made his way to the great stone by the great tree where once a great man now lay huddled in the grass. They exchanged pleasantries. Onlookers might have thought that the parish priest was inquiring into the welfare of an elderly parishioner. True to his reputation, the clergyman offered aid to the friendless, homeless man, and Ushin took up residence with the monks of Armagh. If any of those onlookers wondered why Patrick would offer his charity to a stranger, but not to the poor locals who struggled every day of their short lives, they muttered quietly and went back to their endless digging, washing, and wall building. Time passed, and once more slowly and more quickly in Tirnanog, Ushin came to understand the new ways of his homeland, beginning with the ways of Patrick's church. There were bells in the morning and in the afternoon. The Holy Brothers shuffled off to prayer in the middle of the night. They seemed to pride themselves on straining their jaws on meals of hard bread and rinds of cheese. The only wine was held in the priest's hands and was raised as a sign of sacrifice rather than celebration. Eugene had come to the bishop's residence with a parched throat and papery skin. In a short time, his soul felt just as dry and worn out. At first, Patrick set about reviving his elderly guests with a steady diet of prayer and invitations to the confessional. In time, however, their conversations moved from the chapel to Patrick's private audience chamber. Neither would admit it, but this friendship was more than just casual. Eugene only felt alive when he shared his stories of the glory days with Patrick. Patrick looked forward to those pagan stories when he was supposed to be contemplating the burden of the cross. Eugene's tales were full of golden apples, bold heroines, and shining heroes. He told tales of what it was like to rule as king in the land of the forever young. His eyes filled with tears when he thought of Neve and their two children, who would never grow old if they stayed safe with their mother on that magical island of hers. Patrick was utterly absorbed in the stories and only interrupted when he looked over his right shoulder and shouted to his scribe, Rogan, write this down. The next day, Patrick dies a gleam, asked for more tales. This time, Ushin regaled the priest with tales of what came before the great exploits of his father Finn and all the monsters he had slain, all the cattle he had lifted, all the men he had led, and how eating a certain magical salmon had changed his life forever. Again, Patrick only interrupted to be sure Brogan, the scribe, was getting every detail. Late one afternoon, Ashin dared tell stories of the old gods with their bottomless cauldron and the shape-shifting goddesses who always came in threes. Once again, Patrick called for Brogan and once again, the scribe captured the tales. That night, however, after the warrior had limped back to his bed, those 300-year-old limbs not as spry as they used to be, Patrick sat up in the dark having a chat with God as he was wont to do. Oh God, I have a heavy sin upon my heart. I've taken in an old beggar, as is fitting, and a great gift of charity. I have listened to his tales, as is an important bit of hospitality. But I must confess, all these stories of apple-cheeked youths, fearsome dragons, bloody conflict, and all that ale shared by beloved company, I... I have enjoyed them. Even the stories of their goddess who changed from cow to eel to wolf... I've imagined what it would be to ride across an ocean on a great white steed and to live forever in this place he calls Tirnanog. 
Now, God may seem a distant sort, but if anyone had a direct line to the heavens, it would be Patrick. God clearly favored the British man who first was brought to Ireland as a slave and then returned years later to share the message of his three-part God with what we can only call a holy passion. God answered Patrick without hesitation. Ah, Patrick, my son, were you not merely following the dictates of the Spirit? Did you not hear me whispering to you? Enjoy all that you must, that Ushin was granted a remarkable life, but be sure you have Brogan close to hand. These stories are no sin as long as you share them. Radiating with grace and absolution, Patrick returned to Ushin once again, eager for the next chapter. On that particularly bleak afternoon, when the porridge in Ushin's bowl must have looked particularly gray, he spoke of marvelous feasts, both in his father's time and during his own reign in the other world. Even Patrick, who knew his monks thrive best on simple fare and need never sip from anything stronger than an occasional communion cup, felt his mouth water at the thought of crisp boar skin and honeyed oat cakes. Eugene wasn't sure he was getting his point across, as this Patrick seemed quite content to simply dream of braised trout and cheese that didn't crack the teeth. These rations here at your little commune, Patrick, they're not what I'm accustomed to. Patrick's gaze narrowed just a bit. He was there for the story, not for the critique. It is my opinion that you are getting all that you require, and more. He looked to the extra blanket wrapped around the old man's shoulders. The tenor of their conversations changed a bit after that. Though Ushin was happy enough to keep telling stories of the good old days, it seemed that Brogan the scribe was running out of pages in his great Vidal notebook. Patrick decided it was time to set the fairy tales behind and set his sights in the state of his guest's soul. Rather than waiting for a nice little chat before dinner, Patrick decided to start early in the morning. Ushin! You sleep overly long. I shall restore your stamina with a psalm. Ushin cracked open one eye. When it's three hundred years and more you be, I demand to know if you would be leaping from the bed, cold, narrow, lonely, and hard as it is to get down on a pair of arthritic knees. Undeterred, Patrick returned at midday. Can you hear those bells? Do they not rouse you to pray? Ushin would not take his hands from his ears as he shouted. If you had heard the great war harps of my father, or the fine golden harps of the maidens of the land of the young, you too would get a splitting headache from the perpetual tolling of your bells. In the evening, holding a candle in one hand and a scroll in the other, Patrick had an invitation. Let us sit together and share the word of God. I once was as wild as you. I could not read a word nor write a line, but... I have been given the gift and would share it with you now. Ushin turned resolutely to the wall. Though I never did train to be a bard, I have more brilliant tales in my mind than could be contained by all the scrolls in your Christendom. I would not rob my own great brain of its great powers by relying on your sorry marks upon a page. It's for chickens to scratch at the earth, not for men to scratch upon cowhide. Three times defeated, unable to romance this ancient warrior with the simple comforts of his Roman faith, Patrick laid down his scroll and spoke plain. Ushin, you have seen great wonders. 
You have performed great feats yourself. You have enjoyed the finest wines, the finest music, the finest company that I've ever heard described. Your father was a hero amongst heroes, your wife a jewel of the other world, your horse had no match. But none of that is a match for the heavenly father who whispers in my mind. Rasheen turned then, touched by the vulnerability in Patrick's tone. I hear no whispers of your unseen god in my own mind. But I can hear the horns of the hunt, taste the oyster fresh from the shell, and feel the kiss of the salt water on my cheeks. Those are all real to me still, even though I am old and kept in this cell. You are not in prison, man. You are held here in love and brotherhood, dear Rusheen. You are now part of this fraternity, bound not by the spear and the shield, but by prayer and duty and the sacred routines of each day. We brothers of Jesus are here in the here and now, and I dare say we'll be here upon this island so sinful and so blessed forever. Ushin sat as straight as his stoop spine would allow. There was a fire in his eye that blazed as bright as the greatest of the Lunasa bonfires. Bah! Speak not to me of forever. I was to be with Neve on our own blessed isle forever, and look at me now. Ah, now this is what I beg you to see, dear brother Ushin. Your promise of forever has been broken. My promise of forever lies before us still, I've heard this promise spoken in my own heart as answer to my own prayers. God is better for one day than the whole history of the Fianna of Ireland. Now perhaps God did play this game in Patrick's heart, declaring supremacy like a schoolyard bully hoping to build up his side. Certainly we've heard from other guys that theirs was indeed a jealous God. From where we sit, held close by this particular tale, we just know that God was a great one for the stories and wanted us all to know about Ushin and his fabulous life, both in this world and the other world besides. Ushin's voice was low. Resignation wove through sorrow, but was still studded with just enough fiery resentment. You needn't be cruel, Patrick. I am a man who has neither blade nor hound nor band of brothers to defend him. Your god seems a cruel one, too, and he bakes terrible bread all full of stones from a miller who does not mind his trade. I haven't the strength to begin to tell you about the quality of your vintner and his terrible wine. This time, Patrick merely placed his hand upon Duchene's. There was a softening in the saint. Though Patrick's words and ways were often hard, they were soaked in a devotion that thought it was steeped in love and the promise of rescue from a cruel, cruel world of hunger, slavery, and war. Patrick saw a lonely man and tried to offer the comfort that had brought he himself in from the cold. Patrick tried to wrap Ushin in the cloak of his god. Ushin shrugged his shoulders and held tight the memory of his white horse's flowing mane and remembered a life where the sun always shone. Now there's a version of this story that takes a crooked turn, all full of talk of crooked croziers and other wicked turns of phrase. The argument goes on and on, and it seems there is no way to preserve a friendship between the mists of Tirnanog and the great stone church in Armagh. Lady Gregory, the great folklorist and friend to W.B. Yeats, ends her tale in Ushin's Lament 
lavishing us with endless sorrow for what has been lost. What if, instead, we left the pagan hero and the Christian saint quietly holding hands, wondering about the promise of forever, comforted by good company on a long, damp evening? There are centuries of history and practice that show us that Patrick's way of church bells, communion bread, and prayer books went out over the Fianna's drinking songs, communal feasts, and intricate bardic tales. We know that the promise of shamrock-shaped salvation transformed the land of Ireland, offering great beauty and wisdom, as well as unspeakable cruelties and abuse. St. Patrick offered a version of forever and said that Usheen's world, all full of fairy stories, pagan gods, and fighting men, was gone, never to return. But then, let's remember, we have all raised a pint and eaten our fill. We have all traveled back in time thanks to the words of the poets and the magic of tales well told. And, sadly, we know that bringing Christ to Ireland would drive out neither suffering nor war. Now, we can raise a glass on March 17th, with or without a thought of going to Mass, and remember it all. The friendship, the sorrow, the love lost, and the love offered, the sign of the cross, and the spiral of the Celtic knot. Benachti nefelech poric ort. Benachti nefelech poric ort. It was perfect the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (sighs) Oh my gosh, Kevin. Thank you. I, I guess in this case, oh my God, Kevin, thank you. I'm going to like not, you know, change it because we just, we just dared to tell a story about God. I just want to say I'm so grateful to hear you do that. I've never heard someone perform my words before. What? That's amazing. Yeah. And that's exciting. So, I'm glad you didn't tell me that ahead of time. I would have been <laughs> nervous. Well, I got to hold all the nerves and being like, oh my gosh, he's saying the next word. Then I wrote that part too, and he made it come alive. Oh, it's so beautifully told. So it was a pleasure to read. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, when I first asked you to be on the show, it was because you and I had actually bonded over our American Irish heritage. I knew that I needed somebody for this. Well, I had in mind that I needed somebody for this St. Patrick's week. It was going to be a special kind of story. And when you and I were first talking and you said, that you were really fascinated by ideas of friendship. It just sort of got all of my own storyteller's wheels spinning. And when I found this story, I just realized like, oh, this one, what if we got to tell it as about friendship rather than about this age-old war between the Christians and the pagans? So you offered me such a beautiful invitation, which I'm so grateful for, just with that simple word. So thank you for making that come alive. Oh, my pleasure. You know, and it feels like it feels like these two men from such different worlds, literally different time mm-hmm. periods, different worlds and and finding a connection and finding a humanity and, and all of the things they believe in all the places they come from. They're still able to have these moments that so you beautifully describe of of an honest human connection, which I, I, I think is really interesting. I think it's really special and it feels very like appropriate for the time in the world of what would it be like for people who come from different places to, to really connect? Yeah. Yeah. And I somehow, you know, that this is the way it works with stories, right? Any creative act, we make a thing and then we see some of the connections, but then it's only in the sharing of it that the weaving continues. Of course, that's part of the reason why not work works for the name of this podcast, but 
You know what's interesting, actually, before you and I started recording, we were having a chat. And so Kate Chadbourne, who is also a singing teacher like yourself, who was my original Irish teacher. So whenever I'm helping you pronounce the Irish, I'm channeling Kate. Kate's also my daughter's current singing teacher. But it's actually Kate mentioned this story briefly in passing when she and I were chatting about her Bridget story, because it was that need that even Patrick wanted to remember these old tales. And in that conversation with Kate, she offered me this phrase called fitchafuicha, which is in the Irish, and it means interwoven or intermingled. So I just love how that theme kind of is continuing through. So thank you for, you know, giving us more chances to be in the fitchafuicha of these stories across times. Oh, that's incredible. And it just, it makes me think of, you know, it's like how we go through our day, we go through our lives. And as a, as a mentor of mine says, you only connect the dots you collect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every single day of our lives, we're walking through the streets or we're in our Zoom rooms and things occur to us. And so sharing the story is so important, just like you're saying, is because other people are having completely different human experiences and can bring things out of it. And that's, that's one of the great things about being an artist and in my case, being in the theater. Mm-hmm. and how in the theater storytelling is a big part of how we talk about our history because it's such a, an ephemeral art form, right? It's like it's there one day and then it's got, the show closes and it's gone the next. And so how do we know about what came before, especially in times when we didn't have video recording or, or audio recording? It's the stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that I find really comforting about sharing a story or the beauty of sharing a story. Yeah. It's that sense where it's it's like it's the closest thing to time magic we have because it's very much in this present moment what you and I are sharing together, knowing we're recording this for that future listener who will be part of this moment we shared as we reflect back on a story that would be, you know, if Patrick came to Ireland in the fifth century, we're going back at least 1500 years, weaving it through all the tellers and twists and tales that it gets to hear. And to me that, I don't know that I've ever fully been able to articulate it, but I always just keep trying on that sense of like, this is what past, present, future magic really is. It's why we tell stories and it's why they stay so interesting. Yeah. I think magic's the perfect word. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to that other perfect word with friendship. And I'm just curious about where your thoughts have been about it in general. Actually, you wrote that really stunning Facebook post at the beginning of the year that I think, and I had read that and all the pieces came together. And then you said friendship was so important to you. So I'm curious what's present for you right now. So I wrote this Facebook post, you know, coming into the new year. And I was really thinking a lot about friendship because it, it feels hopefully knock on wood that we're coming through this pandemic. We're coming through this other side. And we've spent the past two years in our little Zoom boxes, in our little bubbles. And maybe we've kept our closest ones closest to us. So, you know, my husband, my parents, you know, our bubbles and and maybe a, a few close friends. And now as we emerge back into reality, there's this realization that I'm having that I'm like, all of these friendships or all of these acquaintances that I maybe haven't seen for years, or, or what is it like to re-enter the world and One, because of the pandemic, what happened to friendships during this time and that connection of being able to connect to somebody over a pint or being able to connect to somebody over over a story face to face. 
and those moments that we've, you know, many moments we've lost out on over the years. And how can, how can we move into this next phase of our existence, nurturing that to make sure that, that we're, we're feeding those friendships. The other piece is getting older. And it, I think the older you get, the harder it is to hold on to friendships. We have families, we have jobs, we have responsibilities in the way in our youth that we're, you know, we're maybe able to spend more time with friends. And it's been interesting in thinking about that. A lot of friends over the pandemic from 10, 20 years ago have come out of the woodwork and it's kind of clarified like who's important. And so that's, that's been a really sweet plus side, I think, to the pandemic is that it's given us some space to maybe connect to people who are far away, who, you know, may not live down the block from us. And those themes of connection and belonging, of course, are right here in the story we're looking at too, right? Because we have so much, the mourning that's in Oshin for, I had this life and then it was taken from me. I have this new life. I mean, perhaps, you know, sitting in this narrow cell in Armagh with Patrick is like his version of, it's like his pandemic life, right? He's like, I've got, yeah. I've got a, I've got a version, but it's not the real thing. That, I mean, what? what you just named, like for me really hits home because I am a, a teacher. And so I don't perform as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of like, oh, that, that time is, is gone. That time has passed. And I moved on to other things and I have other things I love to do. And I imagine being a parent and having feelings of like, oh, I lived a different life or I was able to do different things before and our priorities change. And there's something really like beautiful about that. There's something really... I don't know, that's, that just like hits you to your core about the way that you describe that, of uh, the way that Oshin uh, feels. Right. Well, that, what is that? I mean, it's that James Taylor line, you know, the secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. And it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little greeting cardy, but there's moments I'm like, I think I could get behind that one. Only do we know how hard it is sometimes to enjoy those passages and not get wrapped up in nostalgia or in the, you know, the, the vision of the good old days. I mean, I couldn't help when yes. writing this story to be like, was there a couple mentions of a lot of public drinking? Yes, there was. Is that perhaps me looking back to my own days in Ireland and yes. Boston and New York? Oh, oh, yeah, that's in the story, too. And that is at once a fun part of human nature. And it's also one of those like, but how, sister, brother, how many of those nights do you really remember? <laughs> right, right. But like going back to friendship and and looking back to, you know, when you're in your 20s and you have a million friends and you're always going out and looking back with a nostalgia and thinking, I had so much time with friends back then. I had so many friends and realizing that at that time, you know, maybe I had a lot of friends or there were a lot of people around, mm-hmm. but were they true deep down people who saw my soul or people who appreciated me for every piece of who I am as a person right. and looking at the people who are in my life now who absolutely do. And mm-hmm. maybe there's less of them and maybe that's okay. Right. Right. Well, I thank you for that personal reflection. Cause I think it's deeply true and deeply universal. And it's interesting to think about the sense of like, Okay, Oshin and your brother, your brotherhood, were they really the friends of the friends? You know, he had those three stages of life. He had his time with the boys. He had his time with his partner, with his wife. And then he had this time with, well, there's this, as an Irish phrase called Anamkara, which means soul friend. 
was made famous by that book by John O'Donohue that came out in the 90s. And, you know, I've been working a lot with that phrase with a different spiritual groups I'm part of. But the Anamkara is someone with whom you can sit and talk about the nature of the soul, talk about what's more real than real. And I don't think it's always the most orthodox perspective to say, yes, Oshin found a soul friend in Patrick, but he still stayed a pagan who was true to his ways because it wasn't about conversion, which is kind of why I love this story. It allows them to be themselves, but it still gives us that opportunity for saying, oh, right, there's a period of life when a close companion is there for reflection. And that's beautiful too, though not as easily fun and enjoyable. And the bread is really hard and the cheese is nasty. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe friendship doesn't always look like what you think it's going to look like. Right, right, right. Yeah, I've been really present to that myself right now too, in terms of how do we hold on to all these different threads in the re-entry? Like think about the people you might've had time to talk to when you didn't leave the house or have as many things happening. And now it's like, oh, how do I hold on to that time of reflection, those long conversations? There was some more time for in the midst of the pandemic, even when a lot of the conversation was about, you know, crawling the walls and wanting to get the get the hell out of the house. <laughs> yeah. But I think it gave us, you know, I think it gave us an excuse to reach out. Mm-hmm. I think it, and it started the conversation because I think sometimes when you haven't talked to somebody for a long time, maybe it's hard to initiate or you feel guilty about initiating after a long period of time. But having, having that as an entry, I think while the situation was not great, it, it provided us a moment of connection. And I think about, I have a group of three friends that I grew up with and I, as a child in high school, and it started it started a text thread. Mm-hmm. First, it started with Zoom happy hours, and then it started right. a text thread. And now we text pretty much every day. Mm. Yeah. And it's been so special. And, and my husband has said, he's like, you know, the fact that they're in your lives more is one of, he's like, I think that's one of the most beautiful things I've seen. He's like, because he's from India. And he's like, I don't have friends that I grew up with that I, I still am in touch with. Yeah. Well, you know, to go back to the young Kevin Michael Murphy, who is not just Kevin Michael Murphy, he's Kevin Michael Patrick Murphy, which was just one of those moments of just laughter in the sense of Patrick is your confirmation name. Yes, my confirmation name. (laughs) We had to write projects. We had to do a project on our saint. Yep. And I was like, oh, I want to I want to study and do a presentation on St. Patrick. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, it was, oh, those, oh, those days with Sister Barbara um, oh. at Holy Name of Mary in Valley Stream, New York. <laughs> well, part of the reason it's so funny is that my confirmation name is Bridget. So I do enjoy the fact that Patrick and Bridget are sitting down for a chat right now. Our Lady of Victory in Centerville, Massachusetts, didn't have as many nuns by the time I got round to confirmation, but we did have Sister John Michael when I was a kid. So maybe she... Uh, helped instill my Bridget in me. Because yes. <laughs> of course, I think when you and I were first connecting over this, it was that like, so do you want to tell a story with me about a saint's day? We maybe did it both a little bit tongue in cheek. I can speak for myself to say that my childhood Catholicism is is not a part of my lived life at this point. It's part of my lineage, but it's not part of my life now. So I'm just curious, you know, one 
Irish American Catholic kid to another, a little bit of your journey with that. Yeah. So I'm similar. It's not, it's not part of my current journey, but every Sunday growing up would miss it. Nine o'clock mass. We had to be there. Mm-hmm. My mom was a religion teacher. We called it religion. Other people called it CCD, I guess. I don't know if you, you called it one or the other. It was CCD. And I had to look it up because I actually mentioned it in my book and it means confraternity of Christian doctrine. Wow. I know. I did not know that. Nobody knows that. <laughs> But on Long Island, we'd be like, yeah, I got to go to religion right? on Tuesdays. And yeah, and my mom still goes to church every single, every single Sunday. And she is, to me, somebody who, who lives everything that Jesus says. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a, such an amazing, wonderful, it's not for me, definitely, like you're saying, part of my lineage. Like, and a, and a lot of memories of growing up in and around the church. And I think that it, it couldn't help but have shaped who I am. Right. Yeah. For me, sometimes it's even just that sense of I needed something to rebel against. Because when I look at my own daughters, I'm like, wow, they're baptized. But that's as far as we went. Like, shoot, I'm not giving you enough ground to like jump off of and resist from. Like, you're just going to have to rebel against me and your dad. Shoot, at least I had the entire 2000 years of Christianity to get mad at. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We also had a thing where like we, we were public school kids. And like the Catholic school kids, like the nuns would be like, the Catholic school kids are angels and you public school kids are little devils. And so we could feel that being in like first or second grade, being like, oh, they don't think we're as good as the Catholic school kids, which was still, I'm laughing at this day. I'm like, what? So the public school is to Tirnanog as the Catholic school is to Armagh, perhaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I love that, you know, as, as right now, my second grader is not a huge fan of the public school. Maybe I need to reframe it as like, but honey, we've read the stories of Neve and Oshin. It's just like Tiernanog. My friend Kevin Michael Murphy said. I may need to work on the story finessing to convince yeah, her of that one. Totally. <laughs> I know, but I want to get older. I want to get older. Right, right. Yeah, totally. When you're you're eight. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I want to loop back as we start to land our conversation to the moment when you and I met, which was at Camp GLP, part of the Good Life Life Project in the elder days of 2018, when we gathered together as hundreds of human beings in a room, those vaguely halcyon days. And oh, what an amazing experience that was. Wasn't it the best? Yeah. Yeah. So special. I think about it all the time. Yeah. But we had a chance to actually bond over Irish music and Irish theater. I sang in public for the first time in about 20 years. And it was just so awesome to meet you and Molly, your business partner, fellow singing teacher, and just kind of gush a little bit about the nature of Irish music and Irish theater. And I guess I just want to gush with you for another minute or two about that because I don't realize I don't have a question with that other than just to say it was the neatest damn way to meet somebody under the stars at a summer camp in, you know, of not so far from New York City and just be like, you love Irish music too? You know really random thoughts about yes. facts about Irish theater as well? <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was such that I still remember that night outside of like the, it was like a what was that like common room? Like what was that space? Like it was like, 
Yeah. It reminds me of like a church gym. <laughs> like exactly. This, this. Like it was not quite a cafetorium because you ate in another space, but it could have been like the mess hall slash meeting room slash space where they right. hold the revival. <laughs> totally, totally. And this this beautiful tradition of sharing a song mm. and the power of sharing a song. And I think maybe we talked about that night about I had recently discovered that my great aunt was a Broadway star of the Irish stage. Yes. And my aunt Barbara had done the ancestry and, all, and the genealogy stuff. And she discovered that her grandmother's sister was quite famous on the, on the Irish stage in, the, in around like from 1912, 1913 to the mid 1930s. Wow. And we never, we, we never knew about her. Because she died young. Mm. And so no one ever spoke of her. Oh, wow. Now, she was on the stage in the United States performing Irish theater, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So she moved to the U.S. in, I think it was 1911. And she was, I think, 16. Wow. And she she sang in an Irish pageant. <laughs> and she was discovered by this guy who introduced her to David Belasco, who was uh, one of the owners of a Broadway theater. And still the Belasco Theater is a Broadway house in New York City to this day. And he produced a show called Dark Rosaline with her as, as the title character. And it sort of shot her to fame. And there are New York Times articles written about her. And she ended up having a, a, a long career in the theater. I think she was in 12 Broadway shows over the years. And something that's really special about that, be, you know, being in the theater myself, is that she lived around the corner from my current apartment in New York City. Wow. So she lived in Hamilton Heights, just four blocks away from my apartment wow. here. And so I walk by all the time and I think of her and my great grandma and I'm like, oh, that's Eileen's apartment. Yeah. Two of my friends, their daycare for their kids, they send their kids to is in the building. I'm like, wow, what a small world to, <laughs> you know, a hundred years later have, you know, someone thinking of you all the time. And that's, that's something that's become really important to me. You know, I love how that kind of brings us full circle in this sense of thinking about lineage and whether it's, you know, religious, whether it's that sense of, I think in certain ways, theater is a, is a, if not a religion, it's certainly a faith and a way of being. It feels, yes, it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely a faith and a way of, of being, I would say. Yeah. But that sense that there, that interconnection and that weaving is just so damn cool. I really, so when is someone going to write the novel or, you know, create the show of her life? Because I'm right I know, there for seriously. That. Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's amazing because there's so much out there about her because she was well known. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm incredibly grateful for that to be able to constantly, you know, go down a Google search um, hole and, and find new things or new, uh, new photos where she was in a silent film that's down at the Library of Congress that I was like, oh, I want to go check that out sometime. So it's um, definitely, I think there's a story there. Definitely. Oh, because this, what does it say? Tell us again, that idea of the dots are always there. If you want to connect them. You only connect the dots you collect. <gasps> oh, what a perfect place for us to close. So Kevin, how can people find you and your work? So my teaching work, you can find me at www.nycvocalstudio.com or on Instagram at nycvocalstudio and my personal Instagram at Kevin Michael Murphy. Easy enough. 
<laughs> awesome. I will include links to all that in the show notes because everybody, I just, as we referenced before, Kevin is an actor and a singer and a teacher, and he also has some beautiful things to say. So I highly recommend following him on social media. You just never know when the gems are going to come forth because I know that that post about friendship definitely changed something for me in a beautiful way. So again, thank you so much for being part of this conversation and helping to tell the story. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning into the Not Work Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. You can find out more about my writing, my book, and how to work with me as a writing coach and story healer, as well as my online writing community and courses at marisagowdy.com. Follow the show on Instagram at NotWorkPodcast and join our listeners group over on Facebook. Music on the show is by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy, a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The traditional Irish reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. Find out about their music and shows at BillyAndBeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. Remember, ancient stories are medicine for our modern maladies, and your stories can help heal the past, anchor us into the present, and create a more beautiful, sustainable future.